Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee. You can find me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. If you're a first-time listener, be sure to follow and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Megaphone to stay up-to-date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets and NHL news. On tonight's episode, we'll be recapping the Jets game against the Detroit Red Wings, as well as some updates on the NHL around the league, including the firing of Jim Montgomery from the Dallas Stars. In addition, there is one small programming change to announce this week. This Thursday's episode will be moved to this Saturday, so be sure to tune in this weekend. Kicking us off tonight, we'll start off with a recap of the game against the Red Wings, which uh, started off rather uneventfully, I must say. The Red Wings were much better in the opening frame of the game, Um, And it looked like Winnipeg was going to get off to a traditionally slow start. This is something that's happened quite a few times this season. I'm not really sure if Winnipeg just underestimates teams that are are lower than them in the standings, but to be honest, it just looked like the Jets weren't really prepared to play the game. Detroit was skating a lot faster, forechecking a bit more aggressively, and always seemed to win the second-chance pucks. For a team that's almost last in the NHL standings, it was kind of embarrassing to see Winnipeg struggle so early on in a game in which they had a decent amount of rest prior to puck drop. Anytime you're playing at home against a weaker team, you do want to take advantage of the home ice and skill advantage as quickly as possible. Didn't really start out that way, and uh, Detroit ended up having six of the first seven shots on goal. Not really an ideal start, and I kind of figured that this would probably happen because it's just what the Jets seem to do these days. There aren't many teams where they'll immediately dominate from puck drop, so kind of hoping that they would grow into it, and sure enough, they did. Not far off the midway point of the period, Detroit ended up taking the first penalty, which typically you'd think would be bad for the Jets. Instead, Detroit's uh, complete disorganization on special teams was on full display. The Red Wings' power play unit immediately looked like it was in trouble. They had some issues setting up in the zone, and they weren't really generating a whole lot of offensive opportunities. What was more egregious, though, was the fact that the uh, the skaters at the point looked like they were having trouble making decisions at a rapid pace. It seemed like Winnipeg immediately picked up on it because the jet skaters started pressuring up high. The real mistake came when the um, four of the power play guys were kind of pinched pretty low. Uh, and one of the passes from behind the net kind of squirted up the center. Uh, Winnipeg still had two skaters who were sort of closer to the uh, center slot. I'm not really sure why, but Dennis Chalowski sort of rushed down low to try and get the puck, which I I get if he had support behind him. But when he's the last skater back, this is just a really risky move to make. It's doubly risky when you have Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp on the PK, and both of them are essentially free and clear of you. They combined together to to essentially push the puck away from Chalowski, and then had a 2-1-0 breakaway even though uh, one of the Red Wings skaters ended up splitting the two and causing a modicum of trouble for Andrew Kopp before he was able to get his shot fully off against Eric Comrie, it wasn't enough to stop the scoring opportunity. Comrie managed to sprawl out and cover the puck, but the whistle never blew, and Adam Lowry kept jamming at the puck underneath his blocker. As you might expect, Lowry managed to poke it home and the Jets were up 1-0. Detroit did challenge the goal for goaltender interference, but the officiating crew ended up ruling in favor of Winnipeg. Maybe they felt the Jets were still owed a uh, a nice little standings point after the, well, rather egregious call in the Dallas Stars game a couple of nights ago. Either way, the Jets were happy to take the marker and went up one nothing. Normally you'd expect the Red Wings to have some sort of a pushback, but that pushback never seemed to arrive. The Jets continued to own the offensive zone time and pressure, and just kept coming in waves against the Red Wings, who really had no answer for Winnipeg's forecheck. After the shorthanded goal, it just seemed like Detroit's spirit had completely broken. They had almost nothing going for them, and uh, they had trouble making basic zone clearances out of their own end. Honestly, this was sort of a uh, an identity swap between the Jets and the Red Wings. Winnipeg, who has often had issues clearing its own defensive zone, ended up taking the leading starlet act in tonight's show. 
former Jets prospect netminder Eric Comrie did his best to keep the Red Wings in it, and for a while, things were looking okay. Comrie made a number of decent saves and, and did enough to essentially keep Detroit at least within an arm's throw of the game. Jets goalie Laurent Bressois had a few issues with his equipment and ended up having to get pulled out of the game early on. The goaltending swap was only needed for a minute or so, but Detroit ended up capitalizing anyways on a bit of a chaotic sequence in front of Connor Hellebuck, who just arrived into the game cold. Josh Morrissey, who's had a bit of a rough start to the season, lost his marker completely and was nowhere to be seen when uh, the puck ended up coming out in front of the net. Blake Wheeler was trying to fend off forward Chris Ane, but it really wasn't enough, and Ane ended up putting in a fairly easy opportunity to the side of Hellebuck, um, while Connor was still screened. It was one of those frustrating goals because it was completely against the run of play. Detroit basically hadn't done anything for almost 10 minutes at that point, and the Jets got a bit sloppy. It felt like Winnipeg had had all the zone possession time, they had been owning the pressure, and they just couldn't make it pay off. I wasn't worried that it would trigger some kind of comeback that would eventually result in the Jets' loss, but I, I also wasn't pleased either. Winnipeg was creating a lot of opportunities in the other end, but there was a lack of clinicism, uh, and that's just not good enough against the Red Wings. I feel like you need to take your chances and take them early. Bury the Red Wings while you still can. Make sure they don't have a chance to come back. Detroit actually do have some pretty talented scorers in guys like Philip Sedina and Dylan Larkin. You don't want to give them a second chance to score and tie the game or take the lead. You kind of need to push your advantage early and do it quickly. As I said earlier in the show, you want to see Winnipeg put the pedal to the metal immediately and put all the pressure and onus on the opposing squads. Thankfully, the Red Wings aren't all that good, and immediately Winnipeg was able to collect itself and respond with additional zone time and offensive zone pressure. It's nice to see the Jets respond positively, especially after they've had a lot of defensive lapses throughout the season. Tonight, they were probably fortunate that the Red Wings are just as bad as they are, if not significantly worse in a lot of respects. Defensively, the Red Wings were a complete mess tonight, and they made so many mistakes including missed passes, failed zone exits, you name it, it was there. The Jets very nearly made Detroit pay on several opportunities, but again, the clinicism just wasn't there. There were some scoring opportunities and missed passes that were close, but no cigar. I was really hoping that at some point, the dam would bust. After all, this Jets team has a ton of scoring talent, especially in the shooting department, and they needed to take advantage of the opportunities that were being offered to them. It did take some time, but eventually the Jets' offense did decide to finally show up, and when it showed up, it showed up in mass. The goal scoring started with Jets captain Blake Wheeler. Perot and Ehlers combined along the boards to win a puck battle, before Perot found Wheeler coming down the central slot for a nice snipe. Blake's shot was actually pretty far out, though, and I was surprised it beat Comrie so cleanly. It went off the pipe and down and in. It was an absolute laser, and I felt bad for Eric because there was nothing he could really do. Wheeler probably needed that goal as he hasn't collected many this season. He's only had 8 goals in his campaign so far, and his overall points total is down from what it's usually at. As Winnipeg's de facto second-line center, he's actually been pretty good, and I've been impressed with his results and his chemistry with his line mates. He's arguably been better as a center than he has as a winger, which is kind of surprising given that wing uh, a couple of years ago was where he was most comfortable. Between Roslovic, Perot, and Ehlers, Wheeler has seemingly found his form again, and it's important because the Jets really need him with uh, with Brian Little still sidelined for this foreseeable future. Thankfully, though, Winnipeg's offensive onslaught was not quite over yet, and when we come back in just a minute, we'll go over just how good the rest of the game was for the Jets. Welcome back. Hope you've picked yourself up a nice snack or a quick cold one. And by cold one, I clearly mean water. Water's good for your body and for the soul. Thanks, this has been my TED Talk. Now, for the reason you're actually here. Picking back up where we left off after Wheeler's goal, next up on the docket was Andrew Kopp. It was late in the second period, and Winnipeg was seriously dominating the game. After the Blake Wheeler goal, the Red Wings further collapsed and seemed to have no defensive coverage or wherewithal whatsoever. The chaos was perfectly timed to allow Josh Morsi to risk a 
decently long point shot that uh, Andrew Kopp ended up deflecting in front of Comrie and in. As you can tell, the Red Wings are pretty bad, and on these sequences, they were further embarrassed. To add insult to injury, Patrick Liney then scored a beauty of an individual goal uh, just a minute later. It was another defensive zone and neutral zone failure, and the Red Wings got completely walked. I'm sure Jeff Blasio was absolutely losing his mind, and if it was in the middle of the period, he might have called a timeout if he still had one available. A brief rest and respite for the Red Wings came at the very end of the period, when the Jets ended up taking a nasty little penalty. If the previous power play in the first period was any indication, though, the Red Wings certainly weren't resting on their laurels. The shorthanded goal against probably served as a nasty reminder of what the Jets can do if you give them just a bit of space and pressure. As a result, it looked like Detroit ended up not really pressing the advantage and, and just kept a pretty conservative power play. When they did create an opportunity, it ended up getting stuffed out pretty quickly by the Jets' defense. Detroit ended up failing to convert on their power play once again, and they were still down 4-1. to one. Things really didn't get much easier when just a few minutes later, Detroit ended up taking another reckless penalty. Mike Green's stick ended up riding a bit high on Ehlers' face, and the Jets were back on the power play. They didn't even need to take more than just a few touches, because Mark Shifley absolutely blistered a one-timer right past Comrie to make it 5-1 Jets. Shifley's been on an absolute scoring tear recently, which is a good sign if you're a Winnipeg fan. His absence from the score sheet is usually a bad sign, so it's nice to see him converting on more opportunities as the season goes on. Neil Piuk also collected another point, which I believe is his fifth in six or seven games, something like that. Pretty decent scoring streak for a guy who I thought really wasn't going to be that good for Winnipeg, generally speaking. I wouldn't say that uh, Pionk has been an amazing find for the Jets, but he's definitely been a serviceable NHLer, and that's a lot more than I expected given what happened with him when he was in New York. Modestly speaking, he looks like a decent second-pairing guy, and tonight he had a pretty decent game. He still has some decision-making and passing issues, um, and every now and then he gets himself in trouble behind the net, but overall, he's been solid for Winnipeg, and that's all I can ask for. Unfortunately, he did take a bit of a slashing minor in the middle of the third period, but he kind of had to because Brendan Perlini was basically in alone against Brassois. It was like the only time Detroit spent any sort of offensive zone time in, in Winnipeg's end, so yeah, if you're going to take a penalty, that one's a pretty okay one to take. I especially understand it if you want to keep Brassois' save percentage looking pretty decent. Up to that point, Detroit had only mustered 12 shots on goal, which is pretty pathetic. Unfortunately, Nate Beaulieu almost gave uh, Detroit a nice opportunity to add more than a, a few shots here or there. Um, he ended up throwing the puck over the Detroit bench and over the glass, which is, of course, another minor penalty, so the Red Wings had a 5-on-3, which is not the most ideal of situations if you're Winnipeg. What is ideal is the fact that the Red Wings' power play, again, was not particularly good. On the 5-on-3, I think they only added one additional shot on goal, and then they nullified their second power play by taking a, a, a silly little minor in the defensive zone in their own end. All in all, just a very sloppy special teams effort from the Red Wings, on top of their already sloppy even-strength effort. Overall, the Red Wings just really couldn't muster much of anything, and I think they had a total of 17 shots in 60 minutes of gameplay. Um, that's just not really going to cut it at any level of, of hockey, especially when you surrender over 30 shots and quite a few of them were decently high-danger scoring opportunities. Tonight was Detroit's 10th regulation loss in a row, which is just absolutely brutal, and I actually do feel a bit sorry for them. The strange thing is, is that you look at their roster, and you look at the players um, and the way that they're arranged, and you really wouldn't imagine that they are this bad. I know that their defense is a bit ramshackle, and the forward unit is not all that great, but holy cow, man. That team just totally looked lost after that first shorthanded goal, and they never really seemed to recover at all. I'm honestly not sure what the coaching staff is supposed to say at this point, because... Um, I think they've surrendered four or five plus goals in around 45% of their games this season, which is absolutely mind-blowing when you think about it. That's almost half the games on the year. You have to be some kind of either 
really bad or or super unlucky to to surrender over five goals a game for almost half the games in the season. That is astronomically bad. First overall pick bad. I I don't even know what to say about it other than that it's just sad and depressing hockey, to put it lightly. As far as the Jets are concerned, I mean, a lot of guys stood out tonight. Um, I think Nick Shore actually looked pretty decent. He had a couple of point-blank opportunities, one of which ended up getting robbed by Comrie. And considering who he's playing with, which is uh, Logan Shaw and Gabriel Bork, I feel like Nick actually had a pretty decent night. Um, I don't expect a whole lot from that line, and tonight they actually looked, for the most part, like NHLers. I wouldn't say that they were particularly great, but Nick Shore was very decent. His presence allows the team to do what they want with David Gustafson, which makes most sense to send it back to Sweden and let him participate in the World Juniors. He definitely did not look ready to, to carry a bunch of dead weight on his line, and I just don't think getting like seven minutes a night was really what it you know, really what you want to do with a top prospect like that. Nick Shore has looked capable, um, and he has a decent track record as an NHLer, so overall, I'm happy with the claim. Hopefully he keeps up his performances going forward. One guy that I am not really overly happy with has to be Nate Beaulieu. Since he's returned from injury, he's looked as bad as Lucas Ibiza, um, and that's kind of that's kind of troubling because Beaulieu is supposed to be probably the third or fourth best defenseman on this team at this time. I know that traditionally he's a third pairing guy, and that's that's where he's most suited to to playing at. But right now the Jets need more from him, and he's been just absolutely atrocious. This is kind of like the Beaulieu that we saw when he was back with the Buffalo Sabers, and I thought at the time that it was more of an aberration than a, an overall trend with him. He was already struggling when he was healthy this season, but ever since he returned from his injury, he's looked something like a 7th or an 8th, maybe even a ninth defenseman, um, and that's just not good enough for what Winnipeg needs right now. It's really unfortunate because when the Jets first acquired him about a year or so ago, I thought that he would actually be a decent depth guy. I mean, I was kind of hoping that his, his Montreal results would be more indicative of what we see with him with the Jets. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case this season, and I, I mean, at this point, if he gets waived, I really wouldn't, I wouldn't care that much. Um, it's a shame because I feel like he does have some potential as a decent defender, especially on the third pairing role, but right now he's looking very exposed and having a lot of trouble, so don't know what to do there. Much like the rest of Winnipeg's depth defenders, they're all kind of swimming at this point, so as per usual, suboptimal. Speaking of suboptimal, in our next segment we're going to be talking about the firing of Jim Montgomery, which kind of came out of the blue, as well as a brief update on some of tonight's NHL action. Welcome back. On tonight's closing segment, we're going to cover the Jim Montgomery firing, which, gotta be honest, it's a pretty weird one. In case you haven't yet heard, the Dallas Stars have dismissed head coach Jim Montgomery under very curious circumstances, I might say. There was absolutely no warning or lead-up to the dismissal. In fact, no one seemed to know what's going on, period. It came so out of the blue, and I don't think that there was a single reporter who seemed to have a beat on exactly what was happening. Most puzzling was that the Dallas Stars also released a statement with a firing which included something like, he was accused of some sort of inappropriate conduct. Exactly what that inappropriate conduct includes is a complete mystery at this point. The only rumor that I saw from some random Finnish Twitter account was that it involved alcohol. And honestly, who knows if that's even remotely accurate. No one's really been able to dig anything up about this case, and the, the stars have mostly been pretty mum about the situation as well. I believe they held some kind of press conference earlier, but I don't believe they said anything of note. The NHL just held a talk about the whole coaching culture abuse scandal that's broken out over the past couple of weeks. They also indicated that they were aware of this upcoming firing of, uh, of Montgomery. The league has indicated that it is not abuse-oriented and is not related to anything that was covered in the summit. If it's not related to anything that was discussed in the summit, then I'm honestly at a loss for why he would be removed from office. 
It'd be best if the stars just said what exactly is going on, but for now they've kind of kept it quiet. I guess they're doing their own internal investigations and uh, making sure that their hands are clean of this. Either way, this is an incredibly peculiar situation, and the way that the stars have worded things, I'm really suspicious of what exactly is going on behind the scenes. We won't really have an idea of what's happening until a couple of days pass, I'm sure, but for now, it remains a situation to watch, especially with the stars being one of Winnipeg's Central Division rivals. Dallas's players have indicated that they're surprised that he was removed from office, so at the very least, it doesn't sound like it was really abuse-related. That, in and of itself, is a good thing, but I do worry if there are other victims involved. Whatever the case, I hope it's nothing criminal. In more lighter-spirited news, we're going to discuss some of the NHL action that occurred around the league tonight, some of which was actually beneficial to the Winnipeg Jets. First up, St. Louis visited the Buffalo Sabres, and to say that the Blues had a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a howler tonight would be putting it lightly. Um, St. Louis ended up losing 5-2, which is just absolutely horrific, and from the sounds of it, they got completely dominated. I'm still not entirely convinced that the Blues are really Stanley Cup contenders this year. I know that they're on top of the division right now, but again, I just don't really believe in that many teams from the Central to begin with. The Blues are still comfortably playoff bound, but beyond that, I really don't know. It's kind of hard to say unless one of their goaltenders goes on a really nice hot streak. It happened once before, but it's hard to say that it could happen again. It's just not that likely, generally speaking. On a related note of total domination, the Dallas Stars ended up kind of ripping the New Jersey Devils a new one. Um, even though the scoreline only reflects a 2-0 lead for Dallas, New Jersey basically got crapped on for the entirety of 60 minutes. It was arguably worse than the Red Wings-Jets game. And from some of the reports I saw on Twitter, it sounds like the Devils were flat-out embarrassing. They actually looked something like an ECHL team. I'm not 100% sure what they're going to do to save that franchise because right now the team is in absolute shambles. Even with a coaching change, it just seems like New Jersey has something fundamentally wrong with it. Whatever's going on in that locker room can't be healthy, and with the losses continuing to pile up for the Devils, yeah, something's going to have to change for that team, and change really soon. As the losses continue to mount, I really wouldn't be surprised to see Taylor Hall's trade talks continue to increase in volume. At this point, it's a matter of when, not if, more than likely. On the more competitive side of things, Nashville uh, won 3-1 at home against the San Jose Sharks, San Jose continues to have really bad goaltending and, and poor luck, along with some poor defensive execution. I think that they are a pretty bad team masquerading as a much better team, and I, I just don't really know what's going on with the Sharks. I don't know why that roster continues to underperform, and I'm not sure if it's coaching-related. But either way, they're just not that impressive. The Preds are not exactly a dominant offensive powerhouse, so probably not a great sign for the Sharks that they couldn't get a win in Nashville. It's not like the Preds are a crappy team, but... Generally speaking, their uh, goaltending has been very bad this year, and they don't have a whole lot of offensive finishing talent, so yeah, would have been a nice road winner for the Sharks and something that probably stabilizes their situation if they could actually grab the two points, but as it stands, another loss on their tally. That more or less sums up all of the relevant uh, Central Division standings. On the less relevant side of things, the Minnesota Wild were defeated by the Anaheim Ducks in a shootout. Uh, Anaheim won 3-2 and basically took them all the way. Minnesota continues to be something of a cipher to me. I'm really not sure what their long-term plan is, and I don't exactly know what they're going to do with the franchise, but um, they're a very mediocre team. Sometimes, actually, no, mediocre would be generous. The Wild are just flat-out bad sometimes. They went for an extended stretch tonight with only one shot on goal, which is pretty shocking. The Ducks did give Winnipeg a run for its money the other night, but generally speaking, Anaheim is also a pretty bad team. So for the Wild to struggle that much is not a good sign if you're a Minnesota fan. Just not a good sign for some of these bottom feeder Central Division teams. 
After all of tonight's action, Winnipeg is still in third in the Central Division. They trail second place Colorado by one point and first place St. Louis by two points. This is a very close race at the top between a couple of mediocre teams, although I think the Avs are actually pretty decent. Um, but as far as the Blues and Jets are concerned, I would not be surprised if either of them stumbles during the playoffs. The Jets are still riding some incredibly great goaltending, and even though they dominated the Red Wings, I, I don't anticipate that being the case for that many games this season. The Jets are still the Jets, and while the Jets can score a lot of goals, they definitely have relied on their goaltenders a lot this season as well. So, yep, gonna keep my expectations in modest check, I'll put it that way. And with that, we're going to close out tonight. I thank you guys for listening, and as always, go Jets go!